0: Welcome to Deep Look, UltiWorld's weekly show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and a senior editor at UltiWorld, Keith Rayner, and I'm joined by the human who makes this podcast actually happen, our producer, Lindsay Sue, pulling double duty as both producer and uh, guest slash co-host uh, for this week's episode with Charlie still out on parental leave. Sue, welcome back onto the program. Glad to uh, Glad to have you here to talk about the year that was in twenty twenty
1: three thank you for having me it's a It's a pleasure to get to join the front end of this show
0: once in a while so happy to be here uh, you you have total control really of of how this how this goes. You can make <laughs> me look even stupider than I sound in the raw recordings uh and you even smarter than you sound uh in everyday conversation so uh you know i I bow down to the almighty producer uh it, 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 I, we won't, we won't have to get into like a lot of arguments because I'm just gonna assume you're right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all don't realize how much uh, cutting goes on in the background to make sure that Keith and Charlie sound all polished.
0: <laughs> you know, we
1: do what we can over here.
0: It's it's appreciated. Uh, but today's show, uh, we are going to be talking about the biggest stories in Ultimate in 2023. Uh, we'll probably get a little bit into maybe maybe some who won the year, who were the biggest biggest winners this year. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But before we jump into the main show, I do want to go over some news that we haven't gotten to yet, uh, because had had some news stories break over uh, the the past week or so. Uh, the first, you know, I, I talked a little bit about U twenty tryouts uh, not too long ago, a few episodes ago, and now we have the final rosters for the under twenty national teams that'll be. Playing at the World Junior Ultimate Championships. Uh, Those uh, championships will be in Birmingham, England, in uh, uh, next summer. Um, This year, they added an additional team. It'll be the first year the U.S. is sending a mixed team uh, to the U20 Championships. So, an additional 24 players are selected. 72 total players selected uh, for the under 20 rosters. Congratulations to all those who were selected. A lot of names I recognized. Uh, a couple of names I was surprised who were on the tryout list but did not end up making the team. Uh, I wasn't at tryout, so I you know I can't speak to that. And I think the young players have a ton of variation in how they play and where they might be from year to year. But definitely some really talented players who got left off the list. But you know these are going to be the three favorites to win gold in in U, in the U twenty divisions for sure.
1: Yeah, I was definitely excited to see uh, personally some North Carolina kids uh, making their way back onto these teams. Always nice to see a strong contingent, uh, including a couple kids that I even got to coach um, on a few occasions, which is fun for me. It's great that there's an extra team. That just means that our youth contingency is growing and uh, we're able to get that really high level experience for even more players that's going to help grow the level of ultimate over the course of the next couple of years in the United States.
0: The first, the, when somebody posted the, the announcement in our under 20 discord channel, and I was not at all surprised for the first reply to be counting the number of kids from Seattle to make these, (laughs) make these rosters. It's roughly 25% of the rosters are Seattle kids and uh, as is happens basically every time there was then a debate about uh, about whether that's a good thing bad thing what it what it indicates uh, so th- this conversation has been ongoing uh, for quite a while and you and I are going to be talking about that in our sub bonus segment we're actually going to talk about uh, the U 20 team and how representation is is uh, spread out across the uh, across these, these rosters and, and where, where it is in, in USA ultimate, and how it impacts communities and, and kids development. So uh, Sue and I will be talking about that for our subscribers in our subscriber bonus segment. Uh, but just letting you know that, that, uh, that, that topics on the table, speaking of national teams, uh, not going to dive deep on this one, but the world ultimate championships, formerly W U G C. So these are the national teams representing at the senior level, but not the world games. Um, so the, this is the uh, it's tier two. I don't know. We, they've got to come up with a better naming structure. Now that we've got WUC and WUCC, it's just this can't, This We can't continue at this rate. Uh, That's trying to explain
1: uh, this to anybody who doesn't play ultimate is the worst. It's just, people are so confused. They don't understand. I mean, I barely understand why we have so many worlds events. It's, it's quite complex and hopefully they can figure out a slightly better naming convention.
0: It's the World Championships, but not the not that World Championship or that <laughs> World Championship. It's a different one. And then, you, then when you get into like U twenty four and U twenty, I mean, I, I feel like I remember uh, there there being some conversation about this on laying it out, and they were confused too. I mean, the people in Ultimate <laughs> are confused by this, so uh, there's there's a lot going on here. But now that we've clarified, this will be a Team USA chosen by tryout playing against teams from other countries. Rather than as club teams as they do at WUCC, where US club teams like Fury and Phoenix go. Okay. So the trial list was announced. 208, I believe, is the number of players invited for tryouts. Uh, So, pretty big number of players are the top US players. I think that this tryout, along with World Games tryouts and World Games itself, are like basically the perhaps the most competitive ultimate you can find in the world. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are really excited for this tryout, including some of the people on this show. That's right, folks. I've been invited to W. No, I've not been invited. It's actually Sue. (laughs) I wish. Although my body, I would last like two and a half minutes before I'm I'm like, all right, I got to sit.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited. I've been really lucky to get to go to a couple of U.S. national team tryouts. And over the course of the time that I've been going to these tryouts, the contingency from North Carolina has grown, which makes things really fun for me because not only do I get to have the experience, I get to do the prep with my teammates and friends in the area ahead of time, as well as have people that I have chemistry with and enjoy playing with at the tryout. But generally, these tryouts are extremely difficult, some of the most difficult times I've ever had playing Ultimate, but also are really fun and it's a great way to interact with people across the country and get more experience and
0: just, you know, enjoy playing Ultimate. You prepare for these tryouts? You don't just show up? <laughs> You're just like, oh, I'm, look, I'm good. Why do I, what, do I, what am I going to prepare for?
1: <laughs> yeah, the we've actually had a couple people lead uh pre-tryout camps. Uh We did this uh, last year or two years ago before World Games tryouts. And we're doing it again this year before the East Coast tryouts to do a little pre-tryout mini camp type of thing. It I'm hoping it'll be a good time and just a a good way to get prepared and get some high level reps.
0: Well, I it, it, moving to our next news story. I think the UDL might be hoping those tryouts are played with an ARIA disc, or uh, maybe it won't even be. It'll be the A U D L disc at that point. Uh, they're really p- p- really emphasizing the D in in A U D L because uh, the one of on the street AUDL uh, will be bringing out their own disc. I've uh, purchased the uh, uh, the Aria brand or Aria model, uh, so that they can make their own disc rather than using the Ultra Star. Uh, more details about the story are still uh, emerging, so there may be stuff about this that changes in the in the future. But uh, it does seem the AUDL is working on its own disc. I'll be curious, like, well, I'll, I'll be curious to find out how how they, what they do with it if they just take the aria and are like okay that's cool let's put the AUDL logo on it or if uh they're planning on creating disc golf discs or making variations of the disc or if they're going to do uh, i don't know what else, what other stuff they're going to do with it or how they're going to use this to potentially make more money <laughs> uh but uh, this this was an odd story because i you know the the moving away from anything for the ultra star has been so controversial like the ultimate players are so averse to any sort of change uh so I, i'm i'm I know Charlie is a big proponent of like using different disks, of that that being something we can manipulate more as a community to achieve better outcomes. And uh, maybe the AUDL will will go where where no one else has gone in, in Ultimate, really.
1: When I first heard about this, my first question was why? It feels a little <laughs> bit like a waste of resources and an odd place to put your time and effort as the AUDL. But I could only imagine that the hope is to drive a new revenue stream and that they can you know i don't know what the relationship with discraft currently looks like but if it's not highly beneficial for them then maybe they think that this will be a good way for them to both you know have control over that aspect of the game as well as like you said expand into disc golf because we all know that's really where the money is coming in in relation to disc sports uh, so i guess that would be my guess i know charlie's stance on using different discs in in windy conditions but I can't imagine that the AUDL is trying to make a disc that's better in wind because the AUDL primarily plays at night, which is not a highly windy time. And that doesn't really seem to be an issue for AUDL games right now. So personally, I don't love the idea of playing with another disc. Fortunately, I don't play in the AUDL, so I don't have to worry about it. But um, again, it seems kind of like an odd choice, but it'll be interesting to see where they take it.
0: What if they like come out with like specs for teams and then each team can like slightly modify the disc? So it's like you're everybody's still playing within this range. Like it will weigh this much and have these features, but you, the disc might be slightly different if you're playing in Pittsburgh versus if you're playing in Atlanta. And so you get like this home field, like, oh, we're a little bit, you know, a little home field cooking. The home game discs would allow for some fun uh,
1: deflate gate type scandals to happen in the ADL. So that could be
0: interesting. I certainly think playing with a deflated disc is, uh, seems like what people want. Like there's people who wish this game was called flat ball, which is like <laughs> literally a deflated disc. Right. So we're almost, we're almost there. Maybe this is, maybe this is like a little signal, like the AUDGL, maybe, maybe there's going to be a disc golf <laughs> component to the view. I don't know. I, I also am like not exactly sure what, what the idea is here and maybe it is, hidden in the details. We won't know, like, we don't know how much money they spend on discs each year and how much they could save. So maybe that's where, where the missing part of the, of the equation is, but curious move. We'll see what comes from it over, uh, over the course of the, the next year or two. Our, uh, our last news story is just, uh, looking forward again to WUC. Uh, we saw a list of the participating countries that have already confirmed that they will be attending the tournament. Uh, And while this is still, uh, the registration is still open until almost the end of February, I think. Uh, There's only 15 countries on this list currently. Um, Argentina, Austria, Australia, Canada. Australia is hosting, by the way. Uh, Colombia, France, Germany, GB, Hong Kong, Italy, Japan, New Zealand, uh, Panama, Switzerland, and the U.S., uh, there's a lot of concern going around that a lot of European countries will not be able to participate because of the costs of going to Australia. Um, so I, I would not surprise me to see a big decrease from what we expected to be the size of the tournament in, uh, in 2020, which I think was, I don't know, is 40 plus different countries. I think we're planning to go. Um, so, uh, there's been some interesting debates in the discord about, you know is it is this, is this the right way to do things like is it fair that australia has to travel everywhere like it's expensive for australia like should every tournament be held in europe because that's the only place everybody can afford to go to I, I don't know uh but it it's concerning you know obviously you want to have the best teams there uh and and i hope that that experience is going to be fulfilling for everybody who gets to go and that more teams are able to apply and, and get in but it costs money to go places that the number one moneymaker in ultimate is not in ultimate. It is travel. It is all the money we spend traveling to places to play. Uh, I wish there was a way to keep that in the community, but we don't. So, uh, you know, it's always going to be a cost we have to bear. And I think you got to keep in mind when you're planning these things. But when you're planning for the whole world, it's not an easy exercise. <laughs> we got to get some airplane moguls
1: in the ultimate scene. That way we can kind of like recycle it back into the community.
0: Yeah, instead of us buying Aria from each other, like why are we buying an airline? Like, let's get <laughs> Ultimate Airlines going. You know, uh, in fact, if AUDL could raise enough capital, like they would, they would conquer Ultimate if they were to able to purchase their own airline and just fly Ultimate players places. That, come on, this this has to be highly profitable. Oh, I'm tar- I'm gonna we're, we're stopping the podcast. I'm I'm calling Charlie. I'm calling <laughs> our accountant. Ulti World Airlines 2026. Keep keep an eye out for that. That'll be one of our bold predictions next episode. <laughs> yeah, that's. We gotta hold that for next year. Don't 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 spread that around, everybody. Keep that keep that on DL. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think that you know part of the reasons that people have issues with the expenses because there's so many world tournaments. It's just like you know people don't know exactly how to prioritize what's the most important. So and and you just really can't do everything. It's it's really expensive unless you know you're in a country that gets government support or, um, your disc federations support and is able to get that travel covered. But, you know, if there were, if it were just world games or something like that, then you would see more teams wanting to participate every time, but there just aren't enough resources for everyone right now.
0: I wonder, I I wonder if it's more resource intensive or less to do regional qualifiers for WC. Like, that way, everybody gets to participate in the like larger exercise uh, with somewhere closer to home that you can reach. But you create some exclusivity for the event itself, which decreases the size, which decreases the cost, ensures that you know maybe you, there's there's new funding models in, available there. But maybe it's more expensive to put on additional events instead of hosting one event. Now you're hosting six or seven events or whatever. Uh, but you know maybe the events can be revenue generating for WIFTIF. I don't feel like people like that <laughs> as players, even though they benefit from it. We don't have to get into that whole thing. But yeah, I, I, I imagine that'll be an idea that people will float around if they aren't already with with the idea in mind of like creating something where we can get more participation, but still have a high quality championship event. So that's, that's going to do it for the news for us. Uh, so... Sue and I are going to be talking about the biggest stories from the year in 2023. We'll take a look from the college lens, the club lens, internationally, and maybe look at our biggest stories from the year as well. Stay tuned. You're listening to Deep Look. Welcome back to Deep Look. 2023 almost in the rear view now. So, Sue and I are going to be taking a look back at the year that was uh, and looking at the top stories from college club and international play and picking our favorite stories are the biggest stories of the year from within these top stories. Uh, so I think it only makes sense to start in college as uh, it, you know it's 12 days of college ultimate. We're, we're in the throes of it right now. If you're if you're listening, uh, then uh, we, sh- we might as well start right where the the iron is hot. And I don't think you can talk about 2023 in college ultimate too without talking about the University of National Champions, UNC Chapel Hill. Let's go! No, not UNC Charlotte. Not not What, what other UNCs are there? What, UNC, UNC Pembroke, UNC Greensboro. Pembroke. Oh yeah, I forgot about it. Asheville, Pembroke. Uh, no, none, none of those places. UNC Chapel Hill with three straight titles, six straight titles. Is it, is that a, with t- three straight titles across two divisions? Uh, for UNC. Uh, and they clearly have been the most dominant program of the modern era of college ultimate.
1: Obviously, there have been other college teams that have individual streaks longer than either UNC team. But I don't know how many times there have been the same school in two gender divisions uh, having this much success. So that is certainly unique and stand out for the modern era, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, even uh, what Revolver and Fury, like, uh, it, is that the only other time that it's been dominance across an entire, like, ultimate organizational location, region, like, area? I don't, like, this is unheard of for a group within their cohort to be so good. Uh, but it, UNC completes the 3P, and it was wire to wire. I mean, there was never really a question about who was going to be the best team in. Either D one men's or D one women's, uh, even less so in women's. You know, in men's, you know, they they, they got their tests from Brown at nationals, uh, but otherwise, I mean, it was pretty clean across the board for both teams, uh, and and they looked great running through the finish line too. I mean, they they were, they they had a few lengths on the competition by the time they crossed the line.
1: Yeah, and Pleiades has obviously been undefeated for three years. And that is also pretty much unheard of. I think the most interesting thing, and part of the reason why college is so interesting is because there's such a high turnover rate. So being able to retain this much dominance over time is, is really surprising. I think, you know, obviously it cannot go unsaid that the fifth year, sixth year situation that has been going on has definitely contributed to this. Uh, but it's still it's still impressive and won't be easily topped,
0: so our next story, from one streak continuing at UNC to a streak ending at Wisconsin, the Hodags out of Madison fail to qualify for nationals, ending their qualification streak at twenty one, the longest active streak uh, and an impressive feat for Wisconsin. But uh, they'll have to try and start a new streak. In 2024, as uh, this one has fallen by the wayside, Carlton and Minnesota were able to advance uh, out of a two bid North Central, and uh, this one's uh, maybe a bit of a historical streak, a, a little bit different than, than some of the other other news stories of, of 2023. But uh, I think kind of tugs at the it, it, it feels like wow, so used to Wisconsin just being there, and uh, it, every every great thing has to end.
1: Yeah, I think this is not the most surprising thing to happen. As Wisconsin's been a little bit middling over the last couple of years, I, I think it's I think it's a big moment. I think it's interesting. You know, a streak has to end for another one to come in and uh, make the new record. So sad for Wisconsin, sad for the HoDags, but you know, certainly the tides of college ultimate are shifting a little bit in terms of their you know blue bloods and powerhouses.
0: Another short-lived streak that uh, that's worth mentioning Oklahoma Christian whose streak of uh, national titles and national qualifications ended at just two, but back-to-back titles. And then they failed to even reach nationals in D three men's A shocking ouster. Uh, And I, I, to me, I mean, one of the biggest stories uh, of the college season, I, I really cannot, it's still shocking to me that it happened. Uh, the shock factor alone really is the biggest thing I think for me.
1: This is shocking, but it's also like given the division, it's not completely surprising because you know D3 relies a lot on a couple individual players more so than at the D1 level. And so Oklahoma Christian famously has their uh scholarship program, which clearly worked. They brought in players that were able to get them two consecutive national championships. But you know, when you lose one of your best players, like it at this level one player makes more of a difference. And uh, so I, it was obviously shocking to people to see that happen, but it's, to me, was not as big of a story as some of these other things that are happening.
0: So we've got some other stories on our list from from this year, but is is there anything that stuck out to you as one of the biggest stories that we haven't, haven't had a chance to talk about yet?
1: Well, just sticking with D3, I wanted to make sure we mentioned the Middlebury Women's 3-peat as well. Mm. Uh, they... Yeah, have been super dominant and successful, partly with the help of Claire Babbitt-Ryan, who's, is she the two-time player of the year in yes. D- D3? Yeah, and she's she was an excellent player for them. Uh, they still have a lot of great players, so they are definitely going to be, you know, favorites to at least make it back to the semis uh, this coming year. But I uh, just wanted to give them a shout out also for
0: making a really impressive feat. Yeah, Claire, Claire Babbitt-Ryan, two-time Pony winner. But not this past year. To one, one of the two years prior, and then finished third in Pody this past year. So really, I mean, an un, unheard of individual dominance in in your division. We've never, certainly, never had a player do all of that. Uh, but uh, that, that's that's some of that's twenty twenty two stuff. But continued dominance, obviously, in twenty twenty three, uh, and I think they'll be the favorites coming into this year again. So can we be talking four Pete? And they're just starting to. You're you're getting into, you know. The, Whoa, territory! Like all like the three beat, I'll get you there to being like remembered forever. But four beats starting to be like, okay, is this one of the best teams we've ever seen? You know, uh, that's 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 a lot of winning. Okay, a couple other stories worth worth noting in college before we jump away. The dropped games, uh, changing the bids uh, at the last minute in D one. The Southwest men's losing a bit to the AC. Uh, South Central Women's also picked up a bid. Uh, there was a bunch of drama around that. Uh, speaking of drama, we had the regionals call that decided the Binghamton-Yale game. Well, not decided it, but had a big factor. I guess you could say decided it. If if Yale, if Yale there's no call, Yale catches it, wins the game, goes to Nationals. Instead, they turn it over uh, on a dangerous play, offensive foul call that awarded possession of the defense. Defense goes the other way, scores the game winner. A lot of drama around that. Uh, obviously deciding who's going to win your region and and go to nationals. Uh, But let's move on to club. What do you say? Let's do it. Where should we start in club? Uh, This is a little bit of
1: recency bias, but I have to talk about the Bansfield ejection and that whole situation. That to me is one of the biggest... Things that has happened to Ultimate in general, to me, it was just like incredible television. And I think it led to one of our, me as a uh, production nerd, uh, best sequences um, that we've ever produced in Ultimate in the men's final when Bansfield made it back into the game. It was just in, made for an incredible story and it maybe somewhat somewhat surprising that Bansfield, the one who got ejected, became the hero of that situation, at least in terms of the crowd. Uh, but, you know, you, you just don't see things like that happening super often
0: in Ultimate. That was definitely a big story. Yeah, it's funny because, like, on the one hand, uh, maybe of all the things across all these lists, this is the least important one. Like it, 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 it mostly had very little effect on Ultimate World. But the spectacle of it, the entertainment of it was like just off the charts. It was a little like you had to be there, you know, not literally there, like you could have been watching. Uh, But if you were a part of that moment, if you were on social media and caught the clip or whatever, it was just like one of those moments that the community is all in the same place talking about the same thing, you know, and it's like when there's a. A popular TV show finale, and everybody's talking about it the next week. Like it, it, it's one of those. It, it's the it, the the what was it? Blue or gold dress? You know, it's that like <laughs> oh my god! I we're all talking about the same thing. We all care about the same thing in this moment, even though it it is super unimportant in the larger scheme of things. There's something about. That effect, especially I think in, in sports where you get these fandom communities like coming together to talk about the same things, like that is part of what being a fan is about. So, I I, I this was a unique event in Ultimate in that way, uh, which I think is, is part of what makes it big news. I, I will say, as I look at this list, and I, I knew this even when we were making the list, it does feel like the men's division dominated the news stories with a bunch of crazy stuff that happened. I don't know why that is. I don't think that's like <laughs> something inherently about the men's division. It's just that there, you know nobody got ejected in the mixed division, uh, and came back in the middle of the final. Uh, nobody had an incorrect strip call decide who made semifinals in the women's division. You know, like there what that just didn't work out that way. Uh, so the you know the strip call we could talk about that next because I feel like that was. That was somewhat overshadowed by Bansfield. So, like, I think in the power rankings, it, it it goes down. But like if the Bansfield thing hadn't happened, like I feel like the strip call would have been all anybody was talking about. I mean, the team that went on to win the title, DC truck stop, benefited from a call going their way that would have lost them the game in quarters. I mean, it's wild to think about. Uh, you know, there's a strip call uh that uh is upheld by the observers. Um are just, it's awarded to the defense by the observers. Uh, and later footage clearly shows that uh, the offense had possession of the disc first. Um, what just. Never. I have not seen a scene like that. I mean, people were. You had people talking to USA ultimate 30 minutes after a game. Yeah. Teams arriving late to their games afterwards. I mean, it was just uh, it was uh, I don't want to say madness, but it had the energy of being at. WCC when we were moving inside kind of stuff. Like <laughs> I, what is going on? I've never seen this before. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that was a crazy story to me.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a big one. I, I and well, I just want to give my opinion on this. I think that, you know, I was in the the crowd of the semis, uh, the trucks semis game. And there was a lot of a, uh, you know, truck doesn't deserve to be here, you know, like uh, like jeers um, in, in the crowd at that time. And personally, like my very strong opinion on this is that this this was just a blown call. Like it sucks, it sucks that it happened, but it was a blown call. It was not Trucks fault that they were participating in a call that was gotten wrong. It's just what happens. And the benefit of this is that it led to a change that is putting an observer into the production booth so that they can review the calls and help get the right call happening. Which I think is a great thing. Obviously, it sucks for dig, but you know that's just the way the crookie crumbles sometimes. What I think is also interesting about this, like you said that the Bansfield situation was overshadowing the strip situation. I think that the strip shi- situation was also overshadowing a just a general storyline of the tournament that there were three teams from Pool A that ended up being in the semifinals, and like that two of those teams had to like fight through quarters to get back there, which is just kind of a an interesting outcome of the uh, random draw that we saw, um, which I'm not sure if that's for better or for worse of the situation, but it was definitely an interesting outcome.
0: Yeah. I I mean, there was a a wild round of ultimate in San Diego right there. Uh, But pool, a, uh, you know, I honestly, I don't want to talk about pool. A, it makes me feel bad. I I was not right about (laughs) my predictions about pool. A in the men's division. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to make it these, the producer call. I'm going to be the producer here and say, we're, we're going to cut, we're going to cut that segment. We're not, we're not actually going to cut the segment, but we're not going to continue talking about pool. A. No, no pool. A here. All right. Okay. Fine. Keith. Fine. Women's division story. The, the biggest thing to me, it's funny because all year it felt like it was scandal story, right? Like scandal was the team, you know, Claire trope scandal rise up. And then all of a sudden at the last moments, Brute Squad goes from having, like, kind of the middle, this middling year was disappointing, I think, by a lot of people's estimations of what Brute Squad's capable of. And then all of a sudden they come out and they kick everyone's ass at Nationals <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they win the title. like, I, I can't decide who has the bigger story. I mean, I guess you got to give it to the title team, right? Like, Brute has the kind of up and down year. Uh, I, I think some people had almost written them off as, t- as like, primary title contenders, even uh, by the time we got there, you know, all the conversations about scandal, it's fury, it's Molly Brown. Uh, and now look who's laughing now. It's brute. I I look back at the year and I think about those two teams. Well,
1: yeah, it's interesting because scandal was part of like the most exciting games of the season. They, they had a crazy gate final with fury in, uh, at us open. They actually had two crazy games with fury at us open, um, one in their crossover. And then in the final where fury had an insane comeback, but they were able to um, hold them off, and and then they also had another crazy game against Fury in at Pro Chance, where Scandal had the crazy comeback and won on Universe, and you know uh, they had a, a Universe game against Molly in the semis, and and I think that pretty much everyone, even throughout the tournament, seeing Brute be great, thought that Scandal was going to was going to win was going to take him down because as you said brute did not have a good regular season their offense did not look great throughout the course of the season or even that tournament but in true brute fashion their defense was just what carried them to another championship and i think it is an interesting question like we always come back to talking about does the regular season matter and it's interesting this i think this is an interesting case study of that question Obviously, Brute won a national championship, but does that mean that they were the best team this year? I don't know. They managed to win this tournament and they were the best team at this tournament, but over the course of the season, they weren't the best team. And you know, if they played those games multiple times, if we did a series, would they have won the national championship? I don't know. I think that scandal probably would have taken it if they had played that final more than once. Wow. Wow.
0: Uh, new new Making our own news here. Scandal declared <laughs> national champions by Deep Look Commissioner. I did see. not say that. That's, <laughs> so yeah. so any, any other story that jumps out to you from the club division? This is a smaller
1: story, but it's interesting that this was the first time in many years that the number one overall seed of the mixed division made it out as the number one seed of pool play. Usually, you know, over at least like the past 5 seasons, whoever's seeded first loses a game in pool play at some point. But, you know, Shame who has had a couple of years of looking pretty good in the regular season and not so hot in at Nationals finally push through and take Nationals as, you know, number 1 seed and champion.
0: Just just look at look at the mixed division. Look at look at the mixed division. You get like double digit seeds reaching bottom seeds and pools going to the final and somehow the number one overall seed winning is like it's the surprise you know what i mean like chalk in the mixed division is chaos you know like you expect <laughs> chaos so for the number one seed to win and there was plenty of chaos in the mixed division don't get me wrong number one seed wins it's like wow i can't believe the number one team actually won because <laughs> it just doesn't happen anymore yeah. they were like they were like 500 in pool play over the past five seasons or something. I like I did the math on it. Uh, the number one seed was not doing well, uh, so for Shane to pull it off uh, is obviously worthy of compliment. Uh, player of the year, Jay McLaughlin leading the way, uh, but mixed just continue to be mixed. It it makes no sense. the The points are made up. It, you know it's it it's <laughs> madness out there. Other stories from uh from their club division. I feel like we can't talk about club without uh talking about Pony, uh from being talked about as potentially the the, one of the most talented teams of all time in the men's division didn't even make semifinals a lot of injuries and stuff cropping up for them so there's a lot of like asterisks again uh, for a second year Uh, so you know it's it's wild to think of how far we came from where what we were saying about pony before the season started to where what we were saying about them by the time that it ended uh sockeye fails to qualify for nationals uh you had the first year of the random draw for a club, the or the World Cup draw. It's not random, uh, but the World Cup style draw in in play. Uh mixed reviews. I think it depends on which side of the spectrum you're on, but I thought it was entertaining. So I'm I'm, I'm not against it. Uh Fury. Just them not winning, not being in the final is like a story. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Fury for you. Uh they missed by a single point reaching the final, and it's like, oh my God, Fury did make it. Um, nor, but they weren't exactly dominant during the regular season either. So, you know, what the the larger implications potentially for uh, for this one, for this story about what it means in the women's division.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's just interesting that it's the first time that they've gone into nationals not undefeated since 2019. Um, so, obviously, they still made it very far. They're still a very good team, but I think it has more implications for next season. What we think of them, you know, if it's uh, all these same players returning are. Are they still going to be the favorite because it's still all those great players and it's still Fury, or um, are we going to be looking at them different now and looking at some other teams as being you know the top contenders?
0: Did The invincibility maybe finally finally starting to fade from them. You know someone uh, someone someone finally took the Infinity Gauntlet off their hand, uh, and, and maybe they're maybe they're beatable now. <laughs> we'll see. We'll uh, see. <laughs> all right, our our final category here: international play. Uh, we got a few, not, not the same number of stories here, but still some pretty big ones. Uh, where do you want to start, Sue? What what are some of the big stories to you in, 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 uh, the international realm of, of Ultimate? This is fun for me because I got to be, uh,
1: working with UltiWorld at a lot of these international events and got to see this stuff in person. Um, the, I'll again, start with recency, talk about, uh, the France beach mix team, who, you know, won the tournament and, but I think the even bigger story was they beat the U.S. in the semifinals, which is interesting, not just because, you know, beating the U.S., but they were four and two in pool play. Like they didn't even have like the best tournament, but they still were really successful when it came to the bracket and, you know, able to take the whole thing. And I think it made, made the world look at them a little bit differently and was really, really fun to watch. I really enjoyed watching them play and they have some serious stars and, uh, uh, fun style, and it's always interesting to see when international teams beat the u s just because it doesn't happen that often
0: it, it doesn't uh, although it's start it's starting to feel a little less like uh like speaking of invincibility that the that the u s is might be wearing off a little bit like i don't expect i think the u s is going to be the favorite. I think that that's going to be the case for a long time. That doesn't mean they'll always be undefeated. i think we we're at the point where like I expect the u s to lose like one to two games per year in international competition, mm-hmm. you know, like whether it's beach, U twenties, U 24 like, well, we we'll have another pretty robust slate, you know, the world games, they dropped a game. Like I think we're getting to the point, like, I don't know how you figure WCC into that. Like obviously us teams are going to lose games there, but, uh, I, I guess even if you just look like at national teams, like I think the U S is probably going to lose a game in 2024, if not two or more, uh, I think that that's kind of become a little more par for par for the course, uh, but that's because of teams like like France, you know, stepping up. Big year for France, by the way. Uh, but yeah, they there there's a lot to look at there, and and I think a lot of our stories are really about these nations that challenge the U.S.
1: Well, I think I think part of the reason that they were successful at you know beach mixed is because France had a very narrow focus. Spain had a similar trajectory, like they were uh, they made it to the finals as well. And their international development was really focused on beach. And that's what they practiced a lot. And that's where they were able to have success. But, you know, if you're looking at U24s, you know, France didn't send teams to U24s, even though there were several, like there were several players on that that beach mix team that would have been eligible for it. So while you're right in that, you know, the U S is, is, uh, not quite as invincible as they have been in the past. You know, it, it takes some kind of narrowed focus and the U S being spread a little bit more thin for, for that to happen.
0: Fair, fair. Um, I, you know, you, you mentioned, we were, we're talking about France and and beach, uh, Elliot Bonnet uh, the big star there and part of kind of a wave of international stars, which I think is another big story. Uh, it's just the rise of these individual stars from the international community, uh, you know, stepping up and and they're playing against and in the U S uh, and that kind of is the bar for being considered one of the best in the world. Uh, and, you know, when it's the German players on brute squad, uh, Leif Kvalchuk and uh, little Uh they also had Colombian players across those teams and some of the other uh, top teams. Uh, you had Kanari Imanishi coming from Japan to play for fury. You had Dan DeMarie, uh, who was awesome for U twenty fours for the Belgian team? As uh, you know, there, there were just a number of players who I think really made a name for themselves on the international stage, and a lot of them are young. You know, uh, it, it, a lot of these players have a lot of years in front of them to continue to not only dominate in these high level spots, but to help their communities continue to grow and rise. And so I think this kind of wave of these young international stars is, is really exciting uh, and was one of the biggest things to, to pay attention to in, in 2023. Absolutely. Other stories uh, from international. I mean, uh, to me, those felt like the two uh, biggest ones. You know, we saw the, the U24 Belgian team, I think, kind of captured hearts in the men's division uh, with their run against the U.S. Uh, they were a super exciting team. We talked about Dan DeMarie, but they had a bunch of big playmakers. I think that was one of the fun stories to follow. Uh, during the year, we've seen uh, major growth of Ultimate in China. That feels like another big one. What are going to be the long term effects there? What's driving that growth? Like, will we see it continue? Uh you know, there's there's a lot of. I it feels like money coming into Chinese Ultimate in a way that we've not seen in a lot of other places in the world. So, like, what are going to be the ramifications of that? There's going to be a lot of attention on Chinese national teams playing in international play as we are all kind of looking to be like, okay, what's going to happen with this?
1: The, the only other international story that I uh, could think of is revolution losing in, in Colombian nationals. Obviously the Cardenas twins left that team and started their own team. So that's a big part of why that change happened, but it's definitely kind of the end of an era with uh, Revo being such a huge like international uh, star power for a really long time and and now they didn't even win their um their own Colombian nationals. Um they did end up winning the PALC uh Pan American Ultimate Championships in the women's division this year, but Makana was not at that tournament. So uh it's just interesting to see how those those dynamics are changing a little bit.
0: Yeah I th- I think that uh you know, like if you especially if you wrote those two stories together, like a second team being formed by their by the players that were kind of like stars of this uh, Revo franchise. Like I, I think there's some intrigue in uh in what that means uh for Colombian Ultimate. But it's just a uh, Revo is one of argu- one of if not arguably like the most popular team in the world. Uh, so for part of their star power to split her off and then beat them is uh is definitely uh a cool and a cool story to follow. All right. So soon now we we've laid out a lot of different stories from the year. Maybe there's a couple we missed. I'll, uh, you, you're not beholden to the list that we laid out. What to you is the biggest story of the year? This is tough
1: for sure. And I am definitely biased here, but I think that the UNC three-peating is probably the biggest story for me, partially because it's not just a story of this year, but it's a story of multiple years. You know, It's a story of building that has been continued over the course of several years. And you know, people are talking about it. People hate it. <laughs> People want UNC to lose so badly, and I think that that in and of itself is is part of like what makes it such a big deal and uh, makes it such a big part of this year.
0: Sad to say, but I think I would probably go the same way. I think that the UNC double threepeat uh, is just it's 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 got the historical factor. It's got the you know the star power. Uh, it they yeah, they it just it, it feels monumental. Uh, in a way. So yeah, I I think I would, I think I'd probably go with that behind that to me. It's either, we actually didn't talk as much about this as we probably could have Uh, pony. The pony thing feels like a big story to me. Like we were so uh, it's easy to forget how hyped we were about this team. Literally people were saying this could be the best men's division team ever. Like uh, maybe, maybe now that seems silly. And it's like, how jokes on you or like oh yeah maybe you were saying that but i was definitely not saying that (laughs) mean, people were looking at this roster and seeing you know when we did our top 25 players like like there's like 10 pony players who are getting votes you know a bunch of the top 10 like it was it's wild uh and then they don't even make it semis like not even like they just they just fell short maybe they get to the National final and lose on universe or something like that's different. They didn't even make it to semis. Other stories that I think like I would consider bids changing hands at the last second in uh in college that felt like such a big deal at the time. The international stars that to me is a, is another contender. Those feel like the biggest stories of the year to me. That that, that group. Good picks. Good picks. All right. So our final topic of uh, looking back at the year. Just a little, little little, game here, a little, little fun. Who won the year? Are, and do you want to keep it to just individuals or, or could can can a team win the year? Could it- I think we can keep this broad. I think we,
1: I have a couple of people uh, that I would be uh, c- considering to be having won the year, but I don't think it's, you know, there have been years in the past where it's like, there's clearly one player who has been like the, you know, the talk of the town across the whole season, but I don't think that's the case so much this year. But, uh, so yeah, if you, if you've got a team, I think that could be included as well.
0: Okay. So who, who are you, who are you thinking about for, for folks who might've won the year? here?
1: Okay. I've got a couple of couple options. If you're talking just like amount of on-field success or like big tournaments won, I think Ben Dameron is a, is a good contender. You know, obviously he, he won nationals with UNC. He won U24s and, you know, made it to, uh, the, uh, semifinals of club with ring.
0: Yeah, he definitely picked up a lot of steam. I mean, a lot of individual accolades, uh, ended up having an awesome club season, uh, you know, all club level play, uh, he's definitely a worthwhile candidate with the success that he had this year. I'm trying to think of other individuals who I feel like would be up there. I mean, I I think that you could say his his counterpart, so to speak in Don Colton, uh, a lot of similar success. Ah, uh, not quite the same level of of club success, but gets the added semi pro success too. So, I think Don Don could be on that list. Lily Troutman, for sure. I don't know if you want to pair pair her with Lifka, uh, or keep them separate. But like, yeah, you get the Brute Squad title became such a big like is part of that that group of young stars. I feel like
1: yeah, she kind of came into the stardom this year, whereas. Levka came in to start him a little bit more last season, uh, but definitely they were both like instrumental for Brute's success. Another player that like I mean you can't not talk about is Claire Trope. She didn't necessarily have you know the the as many like big wins. Obviously, Scandal fell short in the finals of Club Nationals, and DC Shadow also lost in the finals of PUL Championships. But I mean Claire Trope, it, it was clearly you know one of the best players on on both of those teams and. She was nearly unanimously chosen as like the best player uh in north america uh in our top twenty five um like obviously she had a fantastic year and she also not to forget she just won a gold medal with beach so um she she's been like a huge player i mean she was last year as well, but is definitely uh one of the players that is is one of the biggest standouts of the year
0: Hmm, i'm I'm thinking of other potential Big winners from the year. Henry Ying, you know, gets a Player of the Year award uh in D1 men's, finishes on the podium in club mixed. Uh, you know, neither of his teams quite have the individual success, I'd say, to like put him over the likes of, of Dameron and Colton and Trope and and such, but worthy of worthy of recognition for the year that he had, also gets the gold medal boost. How, how about this one? Uh, Stick sticking sticking with mixed division. Jolie Krebs. Okay gets, okay. gets gets Binghamton to three straight nationals, shows out at nationals, so good at nationals that like played herself into awards contention uh at nationals. She was like getting all American votes, you know? And then uh goes ahead and, and turns around and, and parlays that into a great club season too. Finishes in the B Pody Award. So yeah, not quite to the level of these other players, but I'm I'm thinking of like honorable mentions basically at this point. For sure. I love that. Are there are there any like organizations that maybe we're missing? I'm trying to think if there's if there's anybody who just had like a huge year.
1: I, I think like DC Ultimate in general had a really big year. There's like a mm-hmm. lot of success in the club level, uh you know success in the pro level and a lot of those players making national teams and being standouts like at the international level.
0: Yeah. You get, you get a men's title. You get uh, a runner up finish in the women's division, but also uh, in the, in the PUL you get clear trope. You get Christian Boxley who like, maybe he's an honorable mention. Someone yeah, who sure. like asserted himself as uh, potentially the best player in the men's division. Yeah. I, I could see the case for, for DC ultimate as a, as a conglomerate. And a bunch of those DC people, you know, ending up on those beach
1: teams that were so successful and, and, you know, especially on the men's side, like that truck contingency was, was a real core of their offense and it was a big part of their success. So, um, they're definitely very strong in the adult divisions, um, maybe not having as strong as they have in the past in the youth divisions, but still overall very successful.
0: Pretty, pretty interesting, uh, interesting year and who would you who would you think you'd give the crown to i don't think i'm ready to go with with ben dameron all right ben dameron i i'd say ben dameron or
1: or dc that that those those would be my strongest
0: i'm with i'm with that we can we can say that those are those are those are the 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 folks who won 2023 uh i'm sure there is like know, maybe we should have phoned in our our boy patrick stegermeller to give us the esoteric (laughs) take on like how people with to wear this certain brand of clothing won the year or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> what about
1: hey? What about New York? New York sent uh, sent more teams. How many teams did they sent? They sent four teams to nationals this year.
0: Speaking of that's Pat Miller
1: and Blueprint, I'm they sure he could year. have
0: come come up with a way which Blueprint won the year, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> For sure. Uh, that's that's part of Pat's Pat's superpower. Okay, so before we wrap up the show, Sue, got to do our question of the week. For this week. Sounds good. So we got a question in from Maxwell Discord. If you want to ask a question of the week, just got to use your subscription to jump jump in the Discord. Uh, let us know what uh, what questions you got in the mailbag channel. Uh, and I think this is a great question for you because you handle production for us. So would Ulti World ever consider doing a mic'd up for players and what players do you think would do a great mic'd up segment? Okay. This is a great question. Shout out to B Ultimate for doing this in Nationals. Yes.
1: Yes. If you haven't seen the B videos, the Mic'd Up videos, you should definitely check them out. They're awesome. They're really fun. I have a little egg on my face here because Keith actually brought this up to me last year around Club Nationals time and and was proposing us doing some sort of Mic'd Up of players. And I totally poo-pooed it and said that it was a bad idea and that it, like players wouldn't want to do it. And I didn't think that it would work out super well, just like in our current context of Ultimate. Clearly, I was very wrong. For the record, I did not remember that conversation. So <laughs> this
0: is that's totally irrelevant that it, I did not bring this up because of that.
1: Okay. Yeah. I just want to make it clear that uh, um, that I was wrong there and that it this mic up was was super awesome when B did it. Um, we'd have to think a little bit about how we would want to do it. If particularly with UltiWorld, it would be interesting to try to incorporate that as like a little segment in a live portion. And that would be like an interesting way for us to differentiate than just doing what B is doing, uh, because they obviously are doing it in post. Um, I I think, I think clearly the answer is like, this is a good idea and that we should be doing it more. And you know, shout out to the Continent Tour who had the trash talk mic um, during their games, which was a fun way to incorporate uh, this kind of thing um, in a live broadcast. In terms of who we should who should be doing it, this is a good question, and I think that there are a lot of players that would be good. The first one like that comes to mind is Khalif. I think that it, it would be really interesting to hear what he has to say. He seems like he's got some. Some great trash talk going, and uh, just like some fun chatter on the sidelines. Uh, I think you'd be really interesting to have.
0: Yeah, this is a non-exclusive list, and and I think when we, if, if Family shows when we talked about it, we talked about there being kind of a logistical challenge for us of like, you don't know when somebody's going to say something. like, are, are we going to mic them up for the whole game and then just go back and listen through for whatever they said that was interesting, or are we going to like mic them up for twenty minutes and hope that? we get the good stuff in that 20 minutes. Like I, I, there's kind of a like, okay, exactly. How do you do this? I think we're going to have to go to be ultimate and be like, all right, what was the methodology here? How did you make sure you got, got some good stuff uh, to say? How many, how much, how much mic'd up audio is, is, you know, down, down, on the cutting room floor. Uh, And, and like they have video to go with it. So like, they were just mic like they were videoing players while doing it. Like that's a pretty resource intensive. So I'm I am I'm I am curious how exactly they went about capturing this.
1: Yeah. So well, I have two thoughts on this. First of all, full disclosure: I was captured as a mic'd up player uh, at nationals for one of our games. They only did it for a half, um, and they just had one camera at the back of the end zone. I think mostly just following me for that whole half. And obviously they just cut these down to like, what, like minute long videos. So they're able to just take the best of it and just get a little bit of content out there. If we were to do it live, um, I think that it's an interesting challenge. And I've seen, you know, uh, at least in the WNBA, I've seen them like incorporate it some into their productions. What I would imagine that we would have to do is, you know, focus on either a player or a coach or something for, for a half, but we'd have to have somebody dedicated to Like going through, like yeah, going through the footage or like listening and cutting some of this um, this audio um, and have a camera that's like following them to be able to uh, just like cut some of that, some of the highlights of it, and to be able to like play that as like just a little bit of you know color to add to the broadcast in like the second half or something like that. But it would definitely take a a, it would be resource intensive for sure.
0: Okay, as for players who I would want to hear. Miked up, they already got to some pretty good ones, and uh, you mentioned Khalif. I think either Schaffner player could uh, could end up with uh, some pretty entertaining stuff. Um, Saul Yannick is another player who I think is really vocal that comes to mind. Oh, we're missing the obvious one, Keith.
1: We're missing Alex Atkins.
0: Dang it! I was just going <laughs> to say Alex. I was going to say Alex Atkins and Johnny Batesfield. You just got to get the yeah. pair for the for the next time they see each other. Yeah, we got to know what's going on there. Joe White could be one. Oh, yeah.
1: Another one that comes to mind for me is uh, China Tickham. Sheena talks, like communicates on fields more than any player that I've ever played with. And I think that that would be interesting and like informative, I think, for people to see and like people could like really learn from them.
0: There's like of two schools here. You go for like they're like, oh, this person says really insightful, thoughtful, communicative things that are really great to hear. And then there's this person's hilarious. This person says yeah. preposterous, <laughs> ridiculous things on the field that like, I just want to hear them be silly. I mean, Alex, Alex Atkins is openly trolling everybody on the field. Yes. So like, yes, that's funny. Like uh, it's annoying probably when it happens to you, but I'm sure it's funny too. Uh, so yeah, versus like somebody who's, Providing incredible feedback and uh leadership and stuff. Like I guess you could even split that one into like technical talk and like leadership stuff. Uh so yeah, there there definitely are some players who I want to hear. I mean, Ben Damerd was saying some crazy stuff. where I know we talked about him. He was I heard him <laughs> on the sidelines talking talking some crazy stuff. Sean Keegan is another person who talks a lot of trash, has a lot of uh a lot of uh, funny quotes. So yeah, there's 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 some there's some strong candidates out there. Uh, I would want to hear Sage Zersky, mm-hmm. Caleb Denikor.
1: I'd also like to hear from a coach.
0: Yeah. Is there a coach? I mean, I, t- I look, I want to know what Matty Sang's doing out there, you know, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I would just listen to Maddie saying radio, you know? <laughs> it's a good one. Just a constant stream of what he has to say. Me and my, my goat, Miranda. Of course, I want to hear Miranda coach. Yeah, there's definitely a whole, that's a whole different Different can kind of worms going down the, the coaching coaching rabbit hole. Uh some people you just like love to hear how they think about the game. So yeah, that's that's very much my my style. So that's gonna wrap it up for this week's deep look. As I mentioned earlier, uh Sue and I will be talking about how U-20 representation is handled, uh, as far as regional representation and community representation on U20 teams in our subscriber bonus segment. Uh so you can subscribe. And listen to that. Uh, But otherwise, we will catch you next week right here on Deep Look.